0: Good morning. Thanks for braving the crazy traffic and trying to find a parking spot. My wife is making loops till I'm done. Um, so, very gracious of her. We are finishing up our study in Matthew. Today we're going to look at Matthew 27. Now you might say, those of you who know Matthew, it's like, wait, aren't there 20 chapter, 28 chapters of Matthew? We're going to pick that up around Easter time. So for us, we're finishing now. So we've spent all these weeks, all these months, going through Matthew. Then Andy said, hey, just wrap it up. Like, I don't want to wrap it up. You wrap it up. You have chapter 27, which has a lot of stuff in it, which he likes to do to me for some reason. So we're going to go through the entire chapter, and actually I decided to start in chapter 26, because what's the challenge in just one chapter? One of the things to know about chapters in the Bible is this. They're made up. Mm, Very inquisitive face there. Yes, what do you mean by that? They weren't written in chapters. Matthew didn't write chapters. Oh, chapter one. You know, like when I write a book, like if you go on, I'm writing a book right now, you go on my wall, it's all laid out. Here are the chapters. Here's how many words are going to be in each chapter. And those will change, but that's that's how I begin. That's the framework. Well, Matthew just writes, and then later on, people came back and said, "Oh, let's divide this up." And so sometimes you might think, "Why did they stop there? And that's don't be ashamed of that question. That's a great question. And as I was reading Matthew 27, and I thought, well, 26, the end of 26 is when Peter denies Jesus, that sort of flows with this whole chapter 27, because chapter 27 is hitting these different people. It's looking at Judas, it's looking at Pilate, it's looking at Jesus. It's looking at the guard at the foot of the cross. Is looking at the women at the end. And so I decided to start with, with Peter because I think that's a good beginning. And our overall emphasis is, how do we continue to go forward with Jesus? Remember last last week we talked about legacy. Well, how do we do that? How do we begin to live intentionally following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? So before we jump in, let's pray. creator, redeemer, sustainer, mother, father, lord, lover, friend, companion, guide, king of kings. We thank you for the myriad of ways in which you reveal yourself to us, each hinting at something about who you are, each reminding us of your love and your faithfulness to us, So we enter this time with confidence, knowing that you are with us, surrounding us, loving us in this moment and the next. And our desire is to hear from you, to receive from you, that we might be better equipped to partner with what you're doing both in us and through us. So open our hearts, open our minds, free us from distraction, that we might fully and freely receive what you have for us. We offer ourselves And we continue to offer this service to you for your honor and glory, for advancement of your kingdom, for the renewal of your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So as you think back over Matthew, and we're not going to share this, just sort of answer the question yourself. And if you haven't been here for the whole series, from what you know about Matthew, what you know about Jesus, what do you think is the central theme Of Matthew, or here's another way to put it: What do you think is the purpose that Jesus had when He came? When Jesus came to Earth, let me just give you a couple moments to, and we're not going to answer out loud. Ponder that, because I'll give you the answer, because it's surprising, and yet it's it's agreed upon by the majority of New Testament scholars. But I think it would be hard-pressed, a hard-pressed answer for the rest of us to come up with. And yet if we paid attention, we might realize, like, wait a second, yeah, Jesus does talk about this a lot. But we tend to focus on certain aspects. The word, the phrase I'm gonna use is sort of a banner term that we look at the, the the pieces of it. But the banner is really what Jesus was about. And he, he announces it in Matthew 4.17, those of you who remember that message. And he says this, repent. And most people will say, oh yeah, repent, that's probably part of what Jesus' major message, and you'd be right. But here's the reason he says to repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. See, The overarching theme of Jesus is the coming of the kingdom. That, that there's going to be an inbreaking. Something's going to change dramatically. And it's not just about personal salvation. It's about this, this kingdom coming. And even this song today, when, it, every time we sing that song, Let It Rain, I think of it as Let It Rain, R-E-I-G-N. Let Him Rain. Let God reign in our lives and to welcome that rain. Because that's what the kingdom of God is talking about. The, uh, the simplest way to understand the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is the realm where Jesus Christ reigns as king and God's authority is supreme. The kingdom exists here and now, in part, in the lives and hearts of the redeemed, as well as in perfection and fullness in the future. So what that is saying is there's a, a now and not yet reality of the kingdom of God. It is here, and it isn't here in fullness. But it's, this, it's not just something futuristic. It's something that, that needs to shape and mold how we live our lives, how we see the world we live in. Because if we're part of a kingdom, one of the things is that's our alliance. Our alliance is not to a political party or even a country. It's to lordship of Jesus Christ and figuring out what that means. The kingdom of God brings different questions for us to ask in terms of the, the disenfranchised, the poor, the outcasts. The kingdom of God gives us the the ability to to critique and also to offer hope. And so the kingdom of God is is vitally important to how we live our lives because it it informs and shapes our values. See, if you remember the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after So I said that one twice. Um, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That, none of that makes sense in the world. But Jesus reminds us, yeah, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. We're of the kingdom of God. And suddenly those things are the descriptors of who we are and how we're to live our lives and actually really the heart that God has given us. And yet they're they're anti-world in many ways in terms of the, the purposes and the values of the world in which we live in, regardless of what country, what nation we're a part of. And so in light of that, I want to look at these people in Matthew 26 and Matthew 27 because I think we can see things that hinder us from living that way, the kingdom of God life, and things that encourage us to live that way, things to put into our lives. So with that said, we'll look at... Oh, we already looked at our first slide. Go ahead, look at our first slide. So so remember, we're talking about the kingdom of God. I want to read this verse. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom then it goes on talks about some stuff this is talking about the kingdom of God is now in breaking and it's interesting you might say top down why does does it even say that well the curtain it's talking about is a curtain that separated everyone else from the holy of holies like only the priest could go in that once a year and it's torn from the top down with the reminders this is God's work and God's saying come on in Greek, Gentile, woman, man, rich, poor, doesn't matter. Come on in. Cuz it's not about the temple anymore. It's about this kingdom of God that you're invited into. You're invited to be a part of. And so so that's the backdrop and that's about halfway through Matthew 27. It was my fifth slide but this morning as I was thinking about it it's like, I don't want to bump that up. I don't want to lose the kingdom of God in the midst of of everything else I'm going to be talking about. So, next slide should be slide number one. The denier. This is about Peter. Jesus says to Peter, you're going to deny me three times? And Peter says, no, not going to happen. And then this is the passage where Peter denies Jesus three times. Three different occasions that he says, no, I'm not a disciple. Why does he do this? Because he's afraid. He's afraid of these people. He's afraid of what could happen. If they're doing this to Jesus, and Jesus says as much. Hey, if they treat me this way, look out, because they're going to treat you the same way. He's afraid. And so we're going to pause for a moment. You just answer, ask this question to yourself. Are there groups of people that you're afraid to share that you're a Christian with? Are there groups of people, settings where it's like, yeah, I don't know if I want them to know I'm a Christian or not. And Christian is now even a weighted term. So it's not about condemnation, it's just about awareness. Because awareness can lead to freedom. See, Peter, if Peter would have said, oh man, Jesus, maybe you're right on this. He could have prayed through that. He could have opened to, hey, what could I do if this is true? But he denies it. See, denial is not helpful in the Christian life. God wants honesty. So, so at work, are, do you feel free to, to, to be Christ in that workplace? With your family, do you feel free to be Christ in that, in that space? You know, Thanksgiving holidays are coming up. Just think through your life. Are there places? So, I was part of this writing group that was online. Everyone was from, except for me, was from New York. And I don't know what you think about New York, but I think of New York the way most people think of California. And so here's these people, and they're all it's a po- it's poetry, so they're all sort of wackos. Um, and I don't think they're going to be exactly pleased if they find out I'm a Christian, because they're not going to know me. They're not. I'm not going to be able to explain that. But if you ever zoom with me, right behind me, it says. Jesus loves me. It's a, it's a little plaque that I have. So anytime I'm Zooming, that's there. So part of me is like, maybe I should move that. Because this was in the height of it was COVID, Everyone, everything was political, blah, blah, blah. And I genuinely felt fearful. Like, I don't know these people. I'm never going to see them. But I had that catch in my spirit. And I just named that and prayed about it. And then I just let it, all right, it's gonna, I'm not going to change they can judge me if they judge me. That's the way it goes. And it turned out, you know, it turned out fine. I mean, especially when I shared my first prayer, my first poems. They're like, "Whoa, you wrote that?" Not that it was some crass thing, but it's just honest about just the way the world is. But that was me. It's like, "Whoa, I don't know if I want to put that out there without any words around it." So who we're afraid of, but also the flip side of this is, is this. Who do you want to please? Who's your audience? Because that can impact how you present Jesus, how you manifest Jesus, what you talk about, what you don't talk about. So it's not just about what are you, who are you afraid of, but also who do you want, you to, who do you want to fit in with? Who do you want, who, what team do you want to be seen on? There's a lot of teams now in, in the church. In fact, um, Stanley, I forget when he came out with this book, but just recently um, came out with a book that talks about that. Basically, whose team are you on and how that's not Christ and wrestling with that. So that's, that keeps us from living the fullness, into the fullness of the kingdom of God. Our fear or our desire to please people. The next slide is, talks, talks about the repenter. And the repenter is this guy named Judas. Judas doesn't get a lot of public, positive publicity within the church because he betrayed Jesus. He's a betrayer. Better that he would not live, be born. And yet in 27, it, let me read this to you. It says this. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and their elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. When Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. I don't know about you, but to me that sounds a lot like repentance. That here is, the, here is the the betrayer now becomes the repenter. Now the sad thing is he goes out and he hangs himself. And so the message in this is in that is this. We need to own our mistakes. He's a great example of hey, I messed up hugely. But he wasn't able to forgive himself. He wasn't able to forgive himself. Shame and guilt can keep us from the fullness of the kingdom of God, from the fullness of of God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness. And so then the question to you is this. Are there areas in your life that you still carry shame around? Things that you've done, things that maybe have been done to you. Are there things that you've done that maybe you still feel guilty about? Jesus has dealt with all of that. But can you let it go? If I was going to ask Jesus, and let's say Casey and I are in the room and Jesus is there with us, which Jesus would be, two or three are gathered, and I say, Jesus, what's the worst, and don't answer Casey, what's the worst sin that Casey ever did? And they, we could, I could do this with each one of you. Here is the answer that Jesus would have to say based on scripture. I don't remember. We remember, but according to scriptures, our sinners are as far as the east from the west. I will remember them no more. I have a handout I'll pass out at the end, maybe you know, just in case you want to do something off this during the week. But one of the things is about Judas, and it's a poem about Judas. And I'm wondering out loud, Judas did. Did you, did the first thing you see on the other side of death was the open arms of Jesus? Like the, like the thief on the cross. Because he does repent. There was a guy, I, was, I worked as deputy sheriff for a number of years, one year in the jail, and this guy comes to me, or comes to my gate, because I'm in an enclosed area and the, the prisoners would come and go. So he comes and he has a little piece of paper and says he's supposed to be in my module. I'm responsible for 300-some prisoners, inmates. And I look at him, and he has no shoelaces. And I go, wait, no. You sit right over there until I find out if you're supposed to be here. Because no shoelaces means suicide watch. Like, he should be in 4,000s. That's not my module. So I have him sit down, and now I'm making the call, seeing if he's really supposed to be there or not. And all of a sudden... This one of my helpers comes and says, hey, he's, he hung himself. Like in a matter of moments. So what, he went into a room that was right behind where we were sitting. It's where we had all the laundry waiting to get taken out. Grabbed a sheet, put it around a pipe. It wasn't that high, it was only this high. And then just collapsed and he was, he was hung. Now I, reached, I rushed out and so this other guy we grabbed his legs and lifted him up and all of a sudden now he's breathing again and he's clutching his thing. And in that moment, I knew, it was like this guy wants to be alive. And as I was thinking of Judas, I was wondering if maybe he had that same experience. He already repented, but what if he repented again? What if he remembered on the cross, he reached for that rope one more time and tried to breathe out and said, God, save me, just like Peter did on the water. And the first person he sees as he opens his eyes on the other side of death, Is Jesus welcoming him? I don't know if that's true or not. We don't know. But he did repent. And do you have a God that can forgive a Judas? Then maybe you have a God that can forgive you. And the truth is that God has and does. But our shame, our guilt can keep us from the fullness of the kingdom of God. Okay, next one. The fearful... And this is Pilate. Pilate before the people. And it's interesting, if you look at at the passage, Pilate is is sort of impressed by Jesus. But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of Pilate. And then it also says to Pilate, and he knew the people had brought him because of envy. He knew this wasn't a real thing. But, but the crowd was there, and they, they were envious of Jesus, the religious leaders, and they wanted him dead. And even Pilate's wife says to him, hey, get away from this guy. Don't, don't have anything to do with him. So there's all these messages saying, internal and external, saying to Pilate, hey, you're in, you're in something that's not a good thing. Pilate even knew that. And he tried to get out of it in a sort of a sneaky way of, hey, you know, we're supposed to let someone go at this time of year out of prison. Do you want Jesus or Barabbas? And of course, the the religious leaders have stirred up the crowd. They want Barabbas to be released. They want Jesus to be crucified. And then at the very end, it says that that Pilate took a basin, which is interesting because there's a time when Jesus takes a basin. When Jesus... He takes a basin, he washes people's feet. When Pilate takes a basin, he washes his hands and says this, I'm innocent of this blood. But why did Pilate act this way? Because he was fearful. He was fearful of the people. And he was fearful, really, of this, that he would lose his power, his prestige, his position, if he went against the crowd. And he was probably right, actually, in that. He was afraid that he wouldn't be able to hold on to what he considered his own. His security, his comfort. And so the question is to us. Are there things that we're holding on so tightly that we wouldn't say yes to Jesus? We wouldn't say yes to the prompting of the Spirit in our lives. You know, Andy's been talking about money for a while. And I'm a big fan when Annie talks about money because I give away money. You know, when I didn't used to give away money, I would say stuff like this We're always talking about money. When I'm giving away money, it's like, Yeah, get some of those other people to give some away. Um, so I just sort of, a, you know, so if you don't want to feel the second way, just start giving money. It's like, Wow, yeah, I'm doing it. And anytime I write a check, I, just, I always write joyful giving on it to remind me this is why I'm doing it. Be part of the kingdom. But what's, what's, what I found interesting in my life is, if I only had $20 and you wanted money from me, here, Ryan, here's 20 bucks. because what's 20 bucks going to do for me? But when I suddenly had like $1,000 in the bank, it's like, no, Kim, I'm not giving you any money, because I could do something with $1,000, isn't that crazy? Well, that's how we work, suddenly it becomes this place of security, this place of comfort, and those are the very things that can keep us from the fullness of the kingdom, from following Jesus. Pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. For in losing your life, you will find it. You know, one person said, said it this way you can't outgive God. But it doesn't mean we're going to enjoy all that in the here and now. Just because I give away, you know, cast your bread upon the water, X number of dollars, doesn't mean I'm going to get more of it back. That's not what this is about. Who, really the question over and over again we're really asking is this, who's your God? Is it pleasing people? Is it security and comfort? Is it, your own sin can be a God in your life. Okay, next. The interrogator. If I was to ask you, if you didn't know the passage, who do you think the interrogator is? I think it would be hard, to, hard for you to answer. And the interrogator is, dun 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 dun, dun. What's the answer to every question you ask, ask in church? Right! Very good. Jesus, he's the interrogator, and here is what he says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's challenging God. Jesus doesn't call God God. This is the only place in the Gospels that we hear Jesus addressing God as God. Always Father, especially in Matthew. But throughout the Scriptures, Father, 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 Father. Suddenly, God. This distance that Jesus is feeling. This abandonment that Jesus is feeling. And yet, what's he doing? It's unedited honesty. Sometimes we think we need to, to act a certain way. We need to say certain things. We need to, to present in a certain way, which are all facades. See, if you think about Jesus, Jesus is surrounded by people who say he's not God, who deny he's the Messiah, and then all of a sudden, what's he say on the cross? My God, my God, why are they forsaking me? That's an irresponsible statement. That is not going to communicate to people that you are really who you say you are. I mean, we don't even understand that. Like, what is Jesus saying? What's going on there? We, we don't, I don't think we even begin to understand all that that means, let alone the people who are his deniers. And yet, he was open and honest. And that's what God calls us to do. I meet with a lot of people around the world individually and for in terms of their helping them develop a deeper walk with Jesus. One of the questions I'll ask from time to time when when they're not as forthcoming as I think they they need to be is do you believe Jesus or God, whatever, depending on who the person is, likes honesty or dishonesty? And of course the answer is always honesty. Then come on, let's be honest. What are some things that maybe you just need to share with God? Frustrations, anger, Issues that you have with God because your life isn't what you thought it should be. It's okay to share that with God because God's bigger than that and God can can contain you and meet you in your questions, in your frustrations, in your anger. I had a lady when I was teaching Sunday school years back, she came to me and said, "Um, every time I go, my dad's dying in the hospital, every time I go to see him, he's just angry at God. What do I do? And my, my advice was this. Encourage him to keep doing that. He's talking to the right person. And again, it doesn't always turn out this way, but he became a Christian. Because he found a God that, that could meet him where he was, and he was angry. And it wasn't surprising given his life, and given how his life was ending. But his daughter gave him the permission, yeah, God can hear you. God's there with you. Share your hearts. And suddenly it wasn't a battle anymore, but it was a conversation. It wasn't a hiding or it wasn't just a, a throwing of darts. It was a conversation that fostered a relationship that changed the life. So, where in your life may you not be as honest as you need to be? Where is it in your life that you may be trying to take it easy on God? That's tough faith. I mean, here's how I like to read this passage. My God, my God, where the hell are you? Because that, I think, is the feeling of it. And God's okay with that. In fact, God rushes into those kinds of comments and embraces us. Okay, next one. Your proclaimer. This is a great verse, especially given what we just said about Jesus and his irresponsibility of his pronouncements on the cross. It says, the centurion, so he's part of, not a disciple, not part of the religious order of the day. He's actually an invader. He says this, Surely he was the Son of God. is right? that great? He paid attention to what he was feeling, what he saw. It says, when the centurion saw those with him who were guarding, Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened. They were terrified. He explained, exclaimed, Surely this was the Son of God. Part of entering the kingdom of God is awareness. Pay attention to what's going on in your life. One person said this, we are never where we are. We're on our way to somewhere else. The only place you can experience God is here and now. And if we're always planning for the future, we're always on our way somewhere. We're not going to experience that reality of God. Be aware. Pay attention. And then put those things together like the centurion did. Stephan said, Whoa, this was, oh, and that brings us to the end of our time. This was um, truly a son of God. That brings us to our last slide. We're pretty close. Oh, and actually, I only give myself 25 minutes, so I do have time. Uh, the followers. And I love this passage. And it says many women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for His needs. And then it lists some of who they were. But where were the disciples gone? One betrayed, one denied. But here were these women who loved Jesus, who had followed Jesus, women who were outcasts of society. They were the ones still there. They're the ones we're going to minister to Jesus in his need, and in his death. They're the ones who will see the resurrection, first witnesses of the resurrection. Why? Because they were compelled by a love of Jesus. They couldn't help themselves. It didn't matter what anyone else would say. It didn't matter if they would lose their security and their comfort. It didn't matter that that people might rise up against them. What they were doing is what Jesus talks about earlier, in a few chapters earlier. They were loving the Lord their God with all their heart, all their mind, all their strength, all their soul. That was about loving God. And that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's loving a God who first loved us. And each of those women knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they were loved. So the question to you is this. Do you know, not here, but here, that God loves you. Not tolerates you, not, so, not as okay with you, but loves you. And more than that, loves loving you. And more than that, likes you. Sometimes, whoa, put on brakes, like? Yeah, likes. Because you're each a unique creation, a masterpiece. And God says to each one of you, you're my favorite. Because there's no other one like you in the whole world. These women knew that. They experienced that. Have you experienced that? Because that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about a God who says, I love you, who brings in this new kingdom so that we can live in fullness and freedom and in harmony with who God has created and called us to be. And yes, it's now and not yet. So not totally, but that's the offering. And so as we look at this, passage, we see people who weren't able to do that. And we see people who were able to do this. But I want to go back to Peter, the denier, and even Judas. And I want to say this, their story isn't over. And if you know the story of Peter, Jesus comes to him. And he's reconciled. We don't know about Judas. But your story's not over for sure. So you may be fearful, you may be holding on to things, you may not be honest with God, but your story's not over yet. And today Jesus says to you, come into the kingdom, let go of that stuff, and I am with you, and I am for you, and I will be faithful to you, even unto the end of the age, which we'll talk about at Easter. All right. I think there might be, is there another slide? All right. Oh, next steps, so I did do next steps. All right, so I got some next steps here. Be humble. That's just hum- humility. A lot of times, Christian—I don't think Christians do a good job with the humility. Humility oftentimes is seen as this: I'm a terrible person. I'm a rotten person. I am blah blah blah, all negative. The Dominicans' their definition of this, uh, humility is this: a right view of oneself. And so, humility is just owning. Yeah, I have weaknesses. I have some things I hang on to. I have some people I'm afraid of. I have whatever it may be. All right, in that honesty, that's where God meets us. We don't have to have it all together. Let's own what we're good at, and let's own what we're not good at. And also, let's all of us own that we, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. That's blessed are the poor in spirit, where there is the kingdom of God. Honest with self and God. You now Jesus is a model of that. Be aware, and a great way of being aware is just slowing it down a little. Paying attention what's going on around you. And here's something you can do. Oh, Andy, could you pass these out while I'm closing my thing? Bossing the pastor around. Um, so be aware. It's just, it's just slowing down a little. And pay attention to those things that grab your attention. Like when Andy speaks. Like if there's a, there's a word or a phrase, like pay attention, write it down. I'm going to get back to that. Or, or when we sing a song. Oftentimes, just I'll write down something. Well, we're singing a song in my journal because I want to come back to that because there's something about that. I don't know what yet, but it's captured me in some way. And do that with all of life. fosters awareness. And then be responsive. So once we do that, we're responsive. Okay, what do we sense God inviting us into? What do we sense God doing um, in and through us? And to jo- join with God In living of life, in living of Jesus. All right, good enough. Let's pray, and then I'll turn it over to uh, the music people. Oh, hey, it's good to see you guys. I've been meaning to ask, where are those people? Like, I had a good time with them. Did they not like me at the island? So, actually, it was very encouraging to see you today. Anyway, all right, let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the life that is ours in you and through you. A life that can be full now and full for all eternity. Help us to be honest with ourselves, to be aware of those places that are hindering us from living fully into your kingdom. And we ask that you would help us give those over to you. Sometimes over and over again, but begin that process. Help our lives be characterized by honesty and openness with you. To share our frustration, our anger, our joys, our gratefulness, that that truly it would be a come as you are affair when we're in your presence. And we thank you that you are about relationship, about love. So let us be about relationship and love as we live life in our families, in our communities, in this world. We ask all this in through and by the name of Jesus. Amen.